another little piece of trivia. 27 years ago today, my daughter was born, our firstborn, and so we welcomed her into our church family. We welcomed Mila into our church family today as well. Last Wednesday night, I was watching um, a special on 9-11. I'm sure many of you joined me in that remembrance. And it's hard to believe, isn't it, that it's been 18 years since that tragedy, since that horrible attack. Um, As I listened to the interviews that were taking place with the survivors, particularly those who actually were in the building when it collapsed and they rode the building down and lived to tell about it, it just took me back to all of that. I'll bet it did for you too. Images of jets being flown into skyscrapers, of a wall of smoke that's chasing down people who are running for their lives. It, it, It all came flooding back. I had the opportunity to visit Ground Zero recently, and if you go there now, today you will see the world, one World Trade Center rising up proudly uh, in, before you, and of course this magnificent 9-11 memorial, very moving, very powerful. But I want you to imagine something. Imagine this. Imagine if you were to go back to Manhattan today, and you were to discover the same pile of rubble that was there 18 years ago. Massive piles of rubble, shards of the, of the Twin Towers stabbed into the ground and standing starkly above you, untouched, unrestored. Can you imagine that? It, it would really be unthinkable, wouldn't it? Now imagine this. Stretch your brains a little bit further. Imagine 150 years from now, your great, 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 great grandkids travel to New York and they discover the same pile of rubble. The same wreckage, the same carnage, this untouched, unrestored, bleak, and enduring reminder of this far distant tragedy. If you can imagine that, then you have an idea of what it was that Nehemiah experienced in the reading that we had last week. When his brother showed up from Jerusalem with news, he came and he told them that still after 150 years since the Babylonians had sacked Jerusalem, the place was still the same pile of rubble. In ruins, walls destroyed, gates burned, the people absolutely demoralized. That's what they discovered. That's the news that he brought. Here's what's interesting about that though. It was as if Nehemiah were hearing it for the first time. His heart was just crushed at the news. He sat down, we are told, and he fasted and he wept and he prayed for days and days dealing with what his brother had told him. Now why? Why did this 150-year-old news gut Nehemiah like this? Because for the first time he really saw it. Because he noticed for the first time the tragic state of God's city, the tragic state of God's people. He noticed for the first time with the eyes that God had given to him, new eyes, to see the city in its broken state. We're in a series that we are calling For the City. And we are considering this really important question. What does it mean for us, the people of Chapel Hill, to really be for our city? Not just to live here, but to be champions of Gig Harbor, champions of Port Orchard, champions of Tacoma, champions of the KP or wherever it is God that, has, has, that God has put us. What would it mean if the, the greatest pagan in our neighborhood would say of Chapel Hill, oh, that's those people who are religious and love their city. 
If we're going to be that kind of an influence in our community, then the starting point for us must be the same as Nehemiah's starting point. We must have new eyes to see what we have been looking at all along. New eyes to discover what God is really wanting to bring to our attention. New eyes to notice the people, the neighbors, the circumstances, the, the brokenness around us. We started here last week. We're going to keep pounding away at this theme. Because if we don't notice, nothing else matters. If we don't really see it, nothing else will change. And so I asked you last week, would you try this? This week, would you try to be more deliberate, to pay attention to those that are around you, your neighbors, your walkers, the kids in the park, pay attention and even lift them up in prayer. Would you try to notice with God's eyes? And I want to ask you, if you did that, This week, if you tried to really notice what is going on around you, would you raise your hand up? Okay, so your pastor has more work to do. And uh, by the way, it was about the same number of people that raised their hand at first service. You know what? We're not going to let loose of this because we really think that this is something God wants us to do. So there's more work for the Spirit to do. I'm going to ask the Spirit of God to do that work in our hearts. In fact, I've been praying that already today, that he would speak to us and move our hearts in a new way today. Nehemiah noticed and he prayed, but that's not all he did. And we're going to discover that as we return to our text. If you want to turn back to Nehemiah chapter uh, 1, the very last verse, verse 11, you'll find it in page 398 in your pew Bibles, or you can just listen along. Here's what Nehemiah says. Now, I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when the wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing that you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad? When the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins, its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the Lord in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. So I'm praying to you, our God in heaven. Would you make this more than my words? Would you make this the work of your spirit? As we, as a church family, fall more in love with the city that you love more concerned about the things that matter to you, more aligned with your heart. Only you can do this, and we ask you to do it now through your word and through your spirit. Amen. So God opened Nehemiah's eyes. He saw things that he had never seen them before. He broke Nehemiah's heart for Jerusalem, and he had this sense of call that he had to do something about it. Now, that's great. Man, I got to do something about it. Okay, what are you going to do? Jerusalem was a thousand miles from where he lived in Susa. There were all kinds of enemies en route. The resources that would be required to rebuild this city were enormous. And perhaps most complicating of all, Nehemiah had a job already. What was his job? 
cupbearer. He was the cupbearer to the king. What does that mean? Well, for one thing, it means he's the guy that tasted all the wine and all the food to make sure assassins didn't assassinate the king. He would be the guy that died. But there was more to the, than that. He was actually one of the, the king's trusted confidants. He was the one with whom the king would share his inner thoughts, his heart. And so Nehemiah had this enormous influence. And now he had to decide how he was going to wield that influence. And every one of you have influence, whether you know it or not. Every one of you has a circle of friends who listen to you, who you shape by your conversations, who look to what you are doing. And so, and there are four things that I think Nehemiah can teach us about effectively wielding our influence. And here they are. Courage, prayer, availability, and preparation. Say it with me. Courage, prayer, availability, and preparation. Let's look at each of those. First of all, the first requirement if you're going to be an influencer is courage. You need to have the courage to wield your influence at the right time. And by the, by the way, take note of that. It was the right time. Nehemiah went to prayer. He fasted. It actually turned out to be four months before he, ever, he even spoke up. He knew he had to wait for the right time to speak. That when he did speak up, boy, it required some guts. Because we, we read that when the king noticed that he was sad, he said, hey, what's with the sad face, Nehemiah? You're not sick. There must be something wrong. We read that Nehemiah wrote, I was very much afraid. Why was he afraid that the king noticed that he was sad? Because it was a capital offense to be sad in front of the king. Why? Because you don't want to make the king sad. It's a bad thing when the king is sad. Anyone who makes the king sad, he's going to get his head chopped off. So when the king notices that he's sad, and he, he says something about it, Nehemiah says, I was very much afraid. But he was distressed about what he had heard. He had lived with this thing for four months, praying and thinking and, and stewing on it. And he just, he just had to, he couldn't fake it anymore. So when the king asked why he was sad, Nehemiah had a decision. Did he suck it up and put on a phony smile? Or did he speak the truth? And courageously he spoke the truth. One of the women in this church who is a mentor to me has an expression about what you do when it, when you have to take on some scary things. She, she will tell me, Mark, you've got to put on your big boy pants. You've got to put on your big boy pants. And if God is going to use you to influence your city, if God is going to use you to love and care for your neighbors, you're going to have to put on your big boy pants. In my case, I'm feeling a calling of God to love my immediate neighbors better. Honestly, when I come home, I want to hunker down and hide. Often, at the end of the day, I've had enough of people. I love you, but I get worn out. Yeah, you might not believe it. I'm actually more and more of an introvert as I, as I grow older. I like hiding in my study at home. Here I stand up here on the weekend talking to hundreds and thousands of people sometimes, but taking initiative with my neighbors actually makes me feel uncomfortable, a little scared. What do you do when you're scared? You put on your big boy pants. That's exactly it. And so I did. I am. Slow pulling them up. I, we have a young neighborhood couple, a couple in our neighborhood that we invited to walk down with us to one of the concerts on a Tuesday night. They said yes. Ooh. 
So we said, well, we're on a roll. So we asked them if they wanted to come to dinner. They said, no. All right. So we're batting 500. But I told you at the beginning last week, I I want us to make new friends. And if I'm going to make new friends in my neighborhood, if I'm going to love my city, then I got to have some guts. So do you. Could it be that the reason that you aren't being used by God to bless your neighbors and your city in the way that you would like to is because you don't have the courage to do the simple things God asks of you, to speak up when you get the chance, to reach out when you get the chance, to invite over when you get the chance. Influence requires guts. So, beloved, put on your big boy pants, put on your big girl pants, and let's get to it. Courage is the first thing. Here's the second, prayer. And you'll say, oh, broken record. That's all we hear, prayer. Yes, it's because it's true. It's the only thing that's actually going to transform your heart and the heart of the city. More to the point, it's the example that we see in the book of Nehemiah. He is the prayingest guy that you'll find in the Bible. You'll be amazed in this short little book how many times we find Nehemiah pausing and praying. Chapter 1 was mostly Nehemiah's prayer. He spent four months, we are told, fasting and praying about what God wanted him to do. And now his moment comes. And courageously, he tells the king why he is sad. And amazingly, the king responds with this question. What are you requesting? You would think that after four months of keeping his mouth shut, that he would have just kind of blah. His pent-up response is just going to vomit out his ideas, the things that have been stirring in him. He had been thinking about this for so long. But notice the very next line. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Before he replies to the queen, king's question, he again, he, he prays. He, he, we don't know. It may not have been out loud. We don't have any idea what exactly it was he was praying. But he knew this was a pivotal moment that, that he had to get right. And so he probably prayed something like, Lord, don't let me screw this up. That's not a bad prayer. Nehemiah teaches us that prayer isn't something we reserve for one hour, one day a week here. It's not even something that we reserve for one part of the early morning in front of our cup of coffee, although that's good. Nehemiah, we discover, wove prayer in and out of his daily life. And so it begs the question, do you? Are you prepared to... To, to speak to someone who, whom God has placed upon your heart. And when you do, do you, do you shoot up a quick prayer for that person? When you hear a siren going by, do you pray a, a prayer of mercy upon that person? When you see a cop driving by, do you pray a, a prayer of protection upon that person? When you see the homeless approaching your window, do you pray a prayer of blessing upon that person? This is the way God wants us to pray, weaving it in and out of every aspect of our life. The Apostle Paul once told the Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. I don't think he meant by that they were muttering a prayer all day long, all day long, all day long. What I think he was saying is this. Listen, prayer has to be like breath to you. It has to become so natural, so frequent, and that it's a regular part of the rhythm of your life. As we're going to see in the coming weeks, Nehemiah prayed without ceasing. And we need to learn to do the same, to notice those who are around us, what is going on around us, and just even shoot up quickly an arrow prayer. Now, I'm going to give you a tool at the end of the sermon that will help you do this. But let me just say this. 
You cannot treat prayer like one more spiritual exercise, one more thing to check off of your box. Because this is, this is enormously important stuff that we are, we are doing here. What we are trying to do is align our hearts with the heart of God. We're trying to align our hearts with the heart of God. We're trying to see our world with the eyes of God. We're trying to have the compassion for our world that get God as God's compassion. If you're going to be used by God to bless our city, we cannot do it without more of the Holy Spirit filling us. And so maybe your prayer starts this way. Holy Spirit, give me more of you that I might see what matters to you and do something about it. So the king says, so what do you want? Nehemiah offers this quick prayer and, and then he responds. And so I want to pick up for the rest of the reading. Verse 5, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 5. Listen. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight... Then you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. We learned about courage. We learned about prayer. Here's the third thing we learn about our influence, availability. Availability. When the king asked Nehemiah what he was asking for, what he was requesting, his first response was, I'm requesting that you send me. Send me back to my people's home. Send me back to the city so that I can rebuild it. Now tell me something. How much did Nehemiah know about building walls? Bupkis. He was a wine taster. Probably had soft hands. What did he know about rebuilding broken walls? He could have said, sire, I want you to send a professional wall builder to Jerusalem to fix that thing up. And the king probably would have been relieved not to lose his beloved confidant and would have sent everything he asked. But that's not what Nehemiah asked for. He spoke great words of available faith. He said, send me. Send me. Same as the words of Isaiah when he stood before God in the throne room of God. God said, whom shall I send? And Nehemiah's response was, here am I, Lord, send me. Same words that Peter spoke when he was in the boat and he said to Jesus, Lord, if it is you, bid me come and I will do it. Bid me come. I think that there, this is a, a crucial principle for the members of this church. We are, many of us, affluent, and by the world's, by the world's standards, all of us are, are affluent. We are very busy. We are concerned kingdom citizens, but we are also quite occupied. We don't have much time. And often, we would rather give our money than ourselves. Our tendency at Chapel Hill is to professionalize ministry. We see a need, and then let's hire someone to meet that need. Obviously, there are times when it makes sense to hire a specialist. But when we do that as a way to dodge God's personal call to take the field, that is dereliction of duty. 
One of the most important challenges I think facing us as a congregation is how we personalize great ideas. We have all kinds of great ideas. The great idea of moving beyond these walls. The great idea of loving our city. The great idea of loving our neighbors. Last week, a a friend told me that for the first time he realized that the, this worship guide that we have here is not just information about what we are doing, but actually an invitation to him to take a next step in ministry personally. We have got to personalize our mission. If we see this as information only and not as an invitation to be engaged, then we will never move beyond these walls, no matter how much we love the slogan. If you sit here and listen to great ideas and you shake your head yes and then look around to see who it is that's going to do it, you're missing out on the joy and the privilege and the responsibility of being a part of what God wants to do. No one can love your neighbors for you. No one can exert your influence for you. No one has this unique set of gifts and talents and relationships and opportunities that you have. When God says, whom shall I send? The answer he is always looking for is, here am I, send me. In fact, let's practice saying that right now. Here am I, Lord, send me. Finally, we discover Nehemiah's preparation. Courage, prayer, availability, preparation. Those four months of prayer included a lot of thinking, a lot of mulling, a lot of planning. I think he was probably writing stuff down as the Spirit was inspiring him. And so when the king finally asked Nehemiah what he wanted, he had a plan, didn't he? He asked for safe letters of conduct. He presented a list of materials he was going to need. He, he asked for letters of introduction. Even while Nehemiah was praying, he was planning, he was working so that he would be ready when the opportunity presented itself. I told you, I want to love my neighbors, my immediate around me neighbors better. If I'm going to do that, I have to prepare because I have so much to learn. Some of you, you just do this naturally. I was hearing stories about it and you're going to hear more stories about that in the weeks to come. But I don't do it naturally, so I've got a lot to learn. So you know what I did? First of all, I do what every theologian does. He bought a book. So I bought a book. The Art of Neighboring. It's a great book. I'm going to buy hundreds of them and ask you to, to, to read it too. I think it's good. The Art of Neighboring. And The Art of Neighboring teaches me that I need to make a chart of the homes that are around me. And I need to list the names of the people that live there and their kids so that I know them. I remember them. I pray for them. So I made a chart. Here's the next step. Cindy and I are planning a (laughs) block party. (laughs) And we've asked our next door neighbor if she will partner with us in this endeavor. These are the plans that we are laying to love our neighbors better. What are the plans you need to make to, to, to take what is a good idea and put it and put flesh on it? If you're courageous, if you're prayerful, if you're available, but you're clueless about how to do it, you will be ineffective as an influencer for the kingdom. Do you remember what I call these doors back here? Doors of amnesia. You do remember. That's amazing. <laughs> Doesn't wipe that part of it out, apparently. What I mean by the doors of amnesia is that no matter how inspired we might be in a worship service, we hear something that really captures our heart. We say, I got to do that. I'm going to head out there and do that. Something happens when you hit those doors. 
It just, it's, it's dissolved something. Life begins to roll over the top of you and all of those good intentions come to nothing. So over the weeks, we're going to give you some tools to overcome the doors of amnesia. You know, a little tinfoil that you're going to wear on your head when you go out the door and some, and some other stuff. So here's the first one I want to give to you. It's a little app that's called Echo. Echo. How many have heard of Echo? You can download it free from your app store. And what Echo does is it reminds you to pray. It's a prayer reminder. So I downloaded Echo and I've loaded into it on a daily basis. I'm going to pray for the city. I'm going to pray for my neighbors. And I'm going to pray for my own heart to be aligned with the heart of God. I urge you, before you leave and the doors do it to you, I urge you to either write it down or even download it before you walk out of here. Because what I've asked you to do last week, I'm going to ask you to do again and again and again. I want you to notice and pray, notice and pray, notice and pray. As the weeks come, we're going to give you more and more tools. We're going to, you're going to hear stories about people who are doing it. We're going to reinforce, reinforce, and reinforce. Because if we don't, we will not really love the city the way God wants us to. At the very end of the text that we read, Nehemiah says that God's good hand was upon me. Don't you want to be able to say that of God in your endeavors with the city? That God's good hand was upon you. That God's good hand was upon your neighborhood. That God's good hand was upon your city. Don't you want to be able to to say that and and to claim that? It is the only thing that will make a difference, but we need to believe that God really does delight in the idea of bringing revival, renewal, blessing, and favor upon this city of which we are a part. Imagine this. We can be a part of that. We need to ask audacious things of our king in the same way that Nehemiah asked audacious things of his. This week, notice, pray, notice, pray. I'm going to ask you at the start of next week's sermon. Notice and pray and see what God is telling you to do. Let's pray. So Lord, as I confessed last week, I need this for me. And as is so often the case, I'm inviting this congregation along in my lesson. But I really do believe you're calling all of us to this, Lord calling all of us. I mean, you you said, Jesus, that the great commandment was to love God and love our neighbor. We remember the first part and forget the second. Or we make it a metaphor for everybody and we don't pay attention to anybody. Forgive us for that, Lord. We pray that we would have your heart, that our hearts would align with yours. We pray that we would have your eyes, that our eyes would see what you see. We pray that we would have your courage, that we could speak when the opportunity presents. We pray that your spirit would prepare us so that when you call us to do something, we will be ready to go. You can do this. We can't do it without you. But here we are, Lord. Send us, we pray.